Tony Mikla is a sports physical therapist and performance coach. His practice, Kime Performance Institute, is dedicated to the improvement of his clients' performance in life and on the field. Dr. Mikla speaks and teaches nationally on sports physical therapy and is active in research, having published multiple papers in international journals. He previously served as the physical therapy manager at the world-renowned Exos in Phoenix, Arizona, working with the best athletes in the world. He is also an adjunct faculty member at Sacramento State University and Northern Arizona University, and he is my guest today. What's up, everybody? My name is John Campioni, and this is the Rock Tape Podcast. Let's get started with uh, Tony Mikla. Tony, what's up? How are you, man? Good, John. How are you, buddy? I'm doing great. It's good to talk to you, too. You know, you are uh, uh, very special to my heart because when we got started with the company, you were my first roommate, and you've been my roommate a couple times in some of the summits that we've had. So it's nice to talk to you because I always get a chance to, to chat with you and spend some time with you. I know. It's just like a, it's a good, like, midnight fireside chat without the uh, without the fire part so it's all good <laughs> good to be uh, good to be back thanks for having me so tony is a physical therapist performance coach you are out in sacramento right now or the sacramento area correct yep so out in uh, northern california we're in sac we've uh, my facility is called the kaim human performance institute so we focus on physical therapy sports medicine so we work with an active population so lots of age groups from you know, young, young youth from 10, 12 years old up to 80 years old. So but for our one common denominator of our practice is that our people are, are pretty motivated to improve and, and get back to, to doing higher levels of function, whatever that might be. Could, could be uh, just lifting up a, a grandkid or playing on the ground or getting up from the floor. Or it could be playing in the NFL or playing at a high level sport. So it's uh, it's a ton of fun to, to work people along that spectrum. I like that mentality too. I say that to my students a lot of times. It's like, you know, everybody has some sort of athletic component to their life. And I always use the example of, you know, picking up their kids or something like that. There's some athleticism involved with that. You don't have to be out on the field to do it. So seeing that wide population that you do, you get to really experience that firsthand. Yeah, I think that's so true. You know, we, we, we spend a ton of time with our, with our staff and clinicians and it's, um, just we have a lot of patient dedicated time and uh, how we deliver what we do, but it's it's so important that we understand where the person's coming from, like what their what the person's uh, value is in the process, like what it is that they're going to get out of this, and and where is it that they're going, and, and that's all that really matters. You know, once we understand what it is they want, what it is they're trying to accomplish, and you know, we're just like all the other clinicians out there, we're seeing such a such a group of people where. You know, all of our people have lost some sort of function. You know, maybe they've lost uh, yeah. something simple that they that they can't do anymore. They can't get out of a chair as well as they could, or they can't run, or they can't maybe they can't play their sport. They're in a competitive sport and they can't play, and they lose that social tie. There's always something that they've lost, and um, and being able to get that back is obviously our our treat uh, and the ability to do that, and you know, using our skills to kind of help them get there. It's that's what makes it fun. So. You had a pretty extensive career working with so many different levels of athletes and individuals, and you at one time were uh, you know a manager at Exos down in Phoenix. Now you're working at a time. Um, give us an idea about your background. You know what got you into physical therapy, going into school, and then when you first came out, what was your career like? 
Yeah, no, for sure. It's um, it's been a journey, that's for sure. But it's been uh, it's been a blast, and it's all been kind of centered around for me. It's been centered around sports medicine and and development, human development. So when I uh, I the unfortunate part of my story isn't starting out as a as a, in high school. I, I hurt myself, just had a really bad ankle sprain my senior year, and that kind of got me started on like, man, I got to you know, I went to rehab. I saw an athletic trainer, and my buddy at the same time had hurt himself. He had, he had an ankle sprain as well. He had a different insurance than I did. So he ended up going and they referred him to a PT. So he went to a PT. So I went with him, you know, just moral support, but obviously I had the same injury to my knowledge. So I was like, Hey, I'll do the same stuff he's doing. And it was just fun, uh, fun environment. The athletic training environment was fun as well, but I always was challenged with like, man, how can we do this better? Like there seems to be like a way I could do this faster. Like, why does it take so long? to heal and and then even when we did it still wasn't the same as it was before i felt like there was this loss and i've just been driven since that time to to continue to find the best and most optimal ways to rehab somebody so that we don't have want to have time lost or have functional loss and have that expand and that's probably my deepest driven passion is how can we get the body to heal well heal better so that we turn you back to their to their high level so that's that's kind of how it all started. So I was fortunate at a young age to kind of know what I wanted to do and have a passion for it. And then, so from there, I went through school, went to the University of Arizona, I was at the men's basketball team there for five years, and then went to Pacific Master's Doctorate in PT at UOP, which is a great program. Mm-hmm. And then while I was there, one of the cool things that uh, that got me started with with kind of really expanding like the sports after being in basketball at Arizona was was phenomenal and the success we had, but. When I went to UOP, I was, got into PT school. PT school was pretty much eight to five, but I would start with the. Uh, I worked over in the in the with the athletic department. I worked in the weight room, so I got a job as the graduate assistant strength conditioning coach. So from five in the morning till seven thirty, I would train the collegiate athletes. We'd do our our prep and all of our our strength conditioning work, and then go to school from eight to five. And then I'd come back and I'd I'd run groups again from from basically five to seven at night. So. For four hours a day throughout PT school, I was I was using the stuff. And I was I was gaining knowledge on applying and training and working with these with athletes. I was training them right away and many of the concepts and really got the chance to explore many different things from periodization to program development to client interaction and that's just been such a passion. So did that. Then went out to athletes performance with with Mark Verstegen, Sue Falsoni, Darcy Norman, uh, some of my huge mentors and hung out with them for one of my internships and loved it. Um, didn't want to stay in Phoenix at the time. So came back to, uh, to California and then worked in a practice for, uh, for several years out here doing sports med, building it up, which was great, but I wanted to have a bigger impact on, on basically the, uh, the world or on the population in general. I just felt like we were doing stuff that we needed to spread the word on and there was better, better ways to improve the profession so we could reach mm-hmm. more people. So I went back uh, to Exos. They had me come back out there, and, and they wanted to to develop some more physical therapy uh, components to what they were doing and kind of rebuild their program. So I joined the team again with them a couple of years back, and we we kind of rebuilt their their therapy side. And it's been a, that was been outstanding experience and lots of good stuff from that. That was a ton of fun running all the combine stuff again, just like I did years ago, and. Uh, working with people from all over the world. The, the greatest thing about working with elite athletes, people kind of get this, I think, carried away. Like uh, there's this impression that working with elite athletes is special because they're, they're elite and, you know, it's like an honor and everything. And it is, no, no doubt about it. But the coolest thing about working with the elite athletes is that 
they don't have all these multiple problems. Their yeah. problems are really, really quite simple. So usually they'll come in with like one issue. You know, I've got a, maybe they've got one knee pain, I've got one hip pain, or they're, they've got one back, uh, you know, recent pain that just started flaring up two days ago, and you're seeing them right away because it's so important to them, and it impacts their function so well that you can see them quickly. And what that does for you as a clinician is it allows you to practice certain skills. So whether you're doing a manipulation or you're doing a soft tissue work, you're doing an exercise. When you get it right, that person changes instantly. They're better, and we're moving on. In the general population, you don't get that kind of feedback that fast because usually there's other comorbidities, other problems going on. So it's it's more difficult to to get these results. So you don't you're not sure if the treatment you're doing is having the impact that you'd hoped it would. In many cases, sometimes it's harder to get those kind of quick changes. So uh, the athletic population for me has helped me develop so much understanding and knowledge like all right well we're using this technique this is the expected result and it is possible and we do see changes right away and then being able to take it to the general population knowing that maybe that would be a little slower or we have to pick away at the parts a little bit more before we get what we want but it's a uh, that that's really kind of helped blaze my uh my career and i think our success and how we apply many of these uh you know these different different types of tools modalities exercises different progressions within the system is having a having a perspective that we should be able to make an impact on someone's function and improve their life every chance, uh, every chance we see them to at least some degree and then just keep picking it up the chain. So, so that's kind of where it came from. Um, and then that's on how it's developed over the years. And over the last uh, four years, I've, we started Kaimu Informers Institute uh, appearance back in Sacramento, which has been a great place for me and the family to, to live and reside. So we love it here and great community to work with. So it's been, been a ton of fun. That's such a fascinating uh, and, and, you know, interesting journey to kind of move back and forth, you know, back to California, back to Arizona as well, too. Um, one thing that comes to mind, you know, when you talk about athletes, too, you know, I'm a big baseball fan and, you know, keeping up with, you know, the playoff run right now is a lot of athletes getting out. Um, unfortunately, my team is seeing a lot of different injuries and stuff like that. So what I've always thought about is being someone on a, uh, a sports uh, medicine team or working with those athletes, do you or have you been put under certain deadlines to get athletes better? Is that a kind of a, a wrench into you getting someone better is that you have a limited amount of time to get them better? Uh, totally, John. It's, um, uh, it's one of the biggest challenges, you know, with the, with the sport. And I've personally um, chose not to to work for a particular team. So I've always felt there was a conflict of interest there where if it's, if I'm working for the GM and the athletes working for the GM and then the GM has one goal is to put this team on the, on the floor um, at the end of the day, you know, I'll have a say obviously in that process and have a huge influence on that process. But at the end of the day, you know, that it can be skewed and my, uh, my ethics and so can be skewed there to some degree, obviously for financial reasons where it's a, uh, it's a tough decision to make. So yeah, I've always avoided that environment for that reason. Cause I just don't think it can be truly hundred uh, percent uh, clear and, and maybe always do the right thing. I'm not saying it's the wrong thing by any means to working with the teams, but I just had a difficult time for me. I was like, God, oh, it's not really comfortable in that position for that reason. Cause there is, there is time constraints, there's pressure constraints and there's, there's all kinds of things. So one of the biggest things we come back to when I'm, when I'm working with an athlete, because every athlete's got a time frame where they want to get back to play, uh, whether it be a, a game or a playoff situation or periods of the season or whatever it might be. And 
Yeah. Yeah. So, so you'll look at the stuff and, and I, I think there's um, the question you always have to ask is, you know, can they make the injury any worse? Um, or is it something they just kind of have to work through? And that, that's really tough. Like that's a tough call to make, to be honest with you. So, yeah. but once you, uh, once you kind of may able to make that decision and, and make some of those calls and, you know, take the best, uh, take the best assessments and do the best we can with them. But like, Hey, you can, you can go out there and maybe you're 90%, you know, you can play. I always warn somebody, I say, if you're going to go play, recognize your 90%. First off, does that help your team? Is you at 90 better mm -hmm. than somebody at 100? So that's the first question. Good point. If the answer to that question, if the answer to that question is yes, then I'm like, okay, well, then let's, let's you at 90, here's where you're going to go wrong. You know, here's if, if you get yourself in a situation like, like X or Y, like say it's a knee issue, you know, if you're in full sprint and you've got to plant your foot and you've got to cut on it, mm -hmm that's when you're going to be at risk or maybe it's a, it's a football situation. It's like when, if you're going to get brought down and it's a shoulder issue of some kind, like let's be the first to the ground, you know, let's not let someone pick you up and throw you and, and pile drive you into the ground and lay on top of you. That's when people get hurt. So teaching the athlete a little bit about maybe there's some ways to manipulate, but if at any point that manipulation makes it unsafe for them to participate because then they're being too cautious they, they can't, they can't go either. So it really has, I think people have to be at least 85 to 90% or above to get back and play. Um, and then, yeah, you, you do your best with time frames. The other thing I'll say on that though, that I think is important with the athlete population is that people assume everybody wants to get back fast. And that's not exactly true. I, I think that one of the biggest things that people want, everybody wants, but certainly the athlete population wants is they just want to plan. They want to know and understand how long it's going to be and make sure they're taking all the right steps to get there. Uh, any veteran athlete doesn't want to go back fast because they've probably done that before. They've seen a teammate do that before and it doesn't end up working out well for them. Right. So it's not about, it's not about speed. It's about planning. If you can, and that's the, that's the first thing to throw out there. So if you got a kid that comes in and sees you in the clinic and like, Hey, hurt their knee and they're wondering if they can play on Friday night, before you kind of have that conversation, like, well, let's look at the injury. Like, here's where we're at. We're in the inflammation stage. You know, if we go back out and play on the next few days, you're going to reproduce this. You're going to be sore again the next week. We're going to have pain again the next week. And then eventually, we're even more at risk for hurting something else. So do you want to play on Friday knowing that information? Or would you rather give me 10 days or give me six days? Let's do some of these tools. Let's get some of this stuff fixed. Let's get this thing healing. And then let's put you back out there in a much fresher state and a much more ready state. And, and, and that's received very, very well. But it, the key is you have to have a plan and understand the healing times, understand how fast you can get somebody to a certain state or at least anticipate it. And then things go pretty well. But uh, then if you violate that time frame, we've got, uh, you know, you got to be ready for that. That can be tough now if you haven't set back or something in there. So you got to be pretty strategic. But that's, what, that's the biggest thing I would say to that. As long as there's a plan, then the, uh, the athletes usually do pretty well for it and, and, and you're pretty good, but don't certainly don't need to rush it back. And I think that's often leads towards, uh, towards future problems or, or additional problems. So not to pick on, you know, anybody right coming out of school, coming right out of school. Um, you know, but I feel like sometimes the younger practitioners get caught up in that too. And I know I did in, in certain situations when I was first coming out of school is you feel the pressure of, Oh, I got to get this guy back or this gal back because they got to be on the field, they got to play, and I'm getting a lot of pressure from the uh, um, from the coaches to get them back where they need to be. 
and then that end result comes out and it's maybe not what you want it to be. Yeah, no, totally. It's, 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 it's tough in that stage because you, when you're first starting, and I think depending on which your environment is, you know, I mean, even myself, I've been with, you know, all kinds of individual athletes and, and most of my work is typically done in the off seasons with, with folks, you know, I'm, I'm not usually the in season guy just because I'm, I'm not on a team with a team uh, on a regular basis where I'm their in season management. Now, in season management is really, really difficult. And when you get when you get somebody in season, it's a really tough call. How hard do you push it? How much practice do they miss? Uh, how you change all those things? And it takes a ton of experience to know how the injury is responding and and looking at it. But but I will say, it does always come down to the fundamentals. What's the fundamentals of healing time? You know, how long does something take to heal? Are they in inflammation stage? Are they in proliferation? Are they in the maturation remodeling? And then what stage are they in? How hard can you push them? What's their tissue tolerance? And then really it's about like progressions. Let's, can you do this? Can you do this? And you just have basic tests that you make them pass along the way. And as long as they pass the basic test, they move on to the next phase, next progression. And you just got to make sure your end stage progression is comparative as close as it can be. And I would say close as it can be maybe 80% of what it is on the field or in, in a game-like situation. I think that's, we can never be a hundred percent in the clinic uh, compared to what happens on the field because there's competition and um, you know, all the endorphins and everything. So Good point. you can never quite, you never, you can never quite get to hundred percent of the clinic, but you get, you better be solid in the clinic and know that whatever you put them back into, there's probably at least a 20% increase in force production, power, speed. Um, and then of course you have fatigue comes into play. So all variables you gotta, you gotta consider, but, but yeah, that, that's what makes it such a hard decision. It takes so much experience to kind of get around. Yeah. Great points for, you know, any young practitioner out there or anybody who wants to work with, uh, with sports athletes and teams, um, so keep in mind a, a lot of different factors there. On that note, too, you know, um, you're working, you said it very nicely, you're kind of the off-season guy, so you're seeing a lot of athletes outside of their season, so you have a little bit more freedom to work with, but you still have to work with certain members of their own medical team. So um, what is it like, what are some of the tips that you can provide to other practitioners about working with, for instance, like surgeons or you know, general practitioners, even maybe even talking to the coaches, even if it is off season. Oh man, that's where it's at. So <laughs> it's, it's all, um, it's all about this, right? So whether you're, you know, in a, in a working with a, with a player that's on a team or whether you're working with an individual, uh, we actually put this as part of, this is on our website. This is part of our, our large uh, part of our operation that we run here at Kaim is, how do we uh, how do we become the medical team and associate the medical team for this particular client? So, mm-hmm. on a, on a general client, you're going to have uh, in many cases you'll have a, a doctor, you have a chiropractor, you have a massage therapist, uh, and then for me, I'd be the PT. But you know, any one of those could be listening to this podcast right now, and you've just got those other four or five people around. And oftentimes, you're an athletic trainer if they are in more of a team environment. But surely, the general population is going to have access to massage, chiro. PT, and then probably a general doc, and maybe a surgeon as well. And then they've got their own family. They got, that's the big thing is their own family. What's their job in their family? Like, what's their expectation on their on their day? Are they expected to go to work every day? Are they expected to stay home and, and do more house-type things? Are they expected to raise the kids? Do they have a little baby at home they have to raise? And, and you know, that means less sleep, which means less recovery, which means less healing. You know, all of these types of things are, are variables to keep into play. And, 
the key to success, I think, in this in this business and and in this in this community to actually really help people is to understand that that role that they have in life and to work with their team members to maybe help them be like if I don't I may not call every single person's whole healthcare team that's for sure but I will sure. let them know hey let your let your spouse know that like this is something that's going to be tough for you over the next two weeks or next four weeks and and maybe that you maybe take this off your plate for a little bit so you can you can recover and you can heal this up or whatever or let's let the doc know that this is what we're seeing this is the progress we're having you know, we're good with this. Um, and then same thing with the Cairo, same thing with the massage therapist. You're like, hey, this is what we're working on. Let them know what we're working on and send a note with them or call the Cairo, call the massage therapist if you have a relationship. And I highly encourage you to build it. And then and then go out and uh, let them let them go communicate that. And then you get a good back and forth communication. The patient actually ends up owning their condition. So they're fully engaged and they get informed by the different providers of what's going on and they, they get some control. And it's, it's great because they start to wrap their head around what's going on and seeing how we as different providers can, can influence it. So I do that general population on a daily basis. And then in the team environment, it's, it's, it's much of the same. You just usually add a coach in the mix. Um, and then you add an athletic trainer, you kind of add into the mix. And again, the coaches are not, for the most part, they never want to hurt their kid. They're intense right. and they're, they're motivated and they want to win. And if you got a good kid that's down, you know, that's a problem for the team and the coach will be disappointed, but I've never had an interaction with a coach when I've been in a knowledgeable state I've evaluated that athlete and I've gone to the coach and said, Hey, this is what we're finding. This is what I'm concerned about. How do you feel about we do this at practice or this at practice and we do some of these alternative things Every single time they're like, Tony, whatever you say, I just want him back as fast as he can be here, but I don't want him back until he's 100%. All right. And and that's really, really consistent across many, many levels. You know, and of course, you'll have some exceptions to that and, you know, playoff times and things of that nature. But coaches are always like, hey, we want the best for the kid. That's why they coach. They love coaching kids. They love coaching people and developing people just like we do. So it's usually a, a very good uh, partnership on that. And, again, as long as you give them a plan, like, here's my plan. I'm going to take him through this. I'm going to take him through this. I'm going to take him through this. I think he's going to be back ready to go, whatever it is, in two days, in two weeks, in two months, whatever it is. But just have a plan and, and get that timeline down. That would be something back to maybe a newer clinician or, or somebody who's looking to refine their their process and their programming is write down the time frames. You know, write down the, okay, I got a new client today. What do I expect this person to do in two weeks? What do I expect them to do in four weeks? What do I expect them to do in six, eight, ten weeks? And start to set up a ladder of of progression or of challenges or of tests or what you expect them to do over that time as their healing comes around and as their tolerance gets higher. And and then you can really see, okay, did did this person meet those expectations? Did they fall short? And then that's how you kind of learn and get and get better at predicting how long it's gonna to take to get certain things better and you know, you get a, get a good feel for it. I think a great takeaway from that really is just the communication amongst different practitioners. Ultimately, what are you trying to do? You're trying to make that athlete better, get them better and get them back onto the field. So, so important to really remember when you're working with team or even just referring out with, you know, different practitioners, just keep that in mind. It's one of the reasons why I, I love teaching for rock tape is we get to meet so many different practitioners. I'm a chiropractor, but I get to teach, 
uh, PTs, massage therapists, chiropractors, strength and conditioning coaches. It's such a fun thing to see. Just it doesn't really matter what kind of practitioner you are. It just we all are there to help individuals with the tools that we're presenting. Yeah, I'm totally with you, John. It's it's, it's so much fun. Like when we get to teach a class like that. Um, you know, there are other active classes that we teach. It's it's always such a mixed group of of providers, which is. You know, it's so fantastic. I asked that same question in the beginning of the sessions, like, hey, you know, where's everybody from and, and you know, what, what profession do you come from? And we always get, you know, we always get a little bit, at least one from every group uh, in the room, which is which is so cool. And the next statement that I usually make to them is take a look around you and, and network with these people. These are like-minded people that are in our industry, and, and we all have the same one common goal. And that, that goal is that we want our people to move better. We want them to function better. And we might have little different tweaks on how we go about it. Maybe we have different skills and different expertise, and that's a good thing. Like yeah. use use those expertise to your advantage, you know, and, and find people that are in your community that that can help you um, help you continue to speak the same language that you're speaking and, and grow it. You know, it's tremendous because it, we have. I mean, our, our practice is filled with cross referrals from from surgeons, from doctors, from chiropractors, from massage therapists, and back and forth you know we send that we send them back to them for the first for, for different things as well so it's a really good uh good environment it's fun we've we've gotten to the point where we have educational sessions now too where we meet up and we we do some like uh they're usually like monthly or quarterly we'll do a meeting and we'll bring in all of our kind of allied providers that are that are kind of friends of the family so to speak people who work with in the community yeah. and just kind of sit down and go over some topics hit up some research you know talk about some some either maybe some cases that we've shared and things like that, which is always great kind of cross the crossover learning and it kind of let, let you learn how to maybe best use some of your colleagues too, like what their biggest strengths are and how they can help. It's such a fun thing to do is just to get involved and, you know, let it, let, you know, ideologies and, and letters behind names kind of go away. It's a really cool thing to do. So oh, I know yeah. too, um, how did you get started with rock tape? Was uh, kinesiology tape something that you had used before uh, finding rock tape and teaching for rock tape? What's your story when it comes to uh, joining this wonderful family we're a part of? Yeah, no, it's, this is, it's been fun. So as a, uh, as a clinician, so I had a, I was working with an athlete who was actually competed in Beijing. Uh, she was a discus store for the U S actually ended up winning gold medal in Beijing for the discus, which was awesome. So we were over there for that. And, you know, that was kind of when it really launched in the Western U.S. and uh, the Western culture was when Carrie Walsh had the, had the tape on her shoulder and, you know, everybody's, what, what's that, you know? And yeah. So coming back, coming back from that time, I'm back in the clinic and I would bet that our, our clinic was probably almost 75% shoulder at that time. We just had a tremendous amount of shoulder. We had a couple of doctors that were shoulder specialists who were working closely with and we just had a huge population of shoulders. So people were like, hey, Tony, I was watching the Olympics and I saw the tape on her shoulder. Like, what's up with that? <laughs> and I was like, man, I have no idea. You know, that looks like voodoo to me. Like, I'm not really sure how that could that could really help her either. You know, like, uh, it seems kind of weird. But so my responsibility as a clinician is I got to find out. Maybe there's something out there that can help people heal better and heal faster, like my original thing, like my whole mission. So let's go figure out what this is. Because obviously if Carrie's using it, you know, that it must have helped her in some way, good, bad, or indifferent. I mean, it must have done something where she felt it was better. So let's, let's go take a look. So, so actually, I went, actually went through some kinesio courses for the first, uh, first couple levels of kinesio mm -hmm. to kind of get my, get my hands in, which I thought they were great, learned a ton of great stuff. And then I was, um, 
I w- I've, I've used, I used it a bit in the clinic, had the same frustrations everybody else had. But at any rate, I was the, I was the medical director in 2011. I was the medical director for uh, the, the world masters track and field meet. So there was 2010 meet what was the national meet I was the medical director with. And then 2011 was the world championships here in Sacramento. And so in 2010, I actually think it was Roxy had a booth at, at the meet. And this time, Steve, the medical director of Roxy now was, you know, the, the clinician and, and lead educator and kind of on the ground marketing and everything else. So he was in the booth. And so I was running the medical tent. And so we met through a chiropractor. So a good friend of a chiropractor introduced me to them. He's like, hey, Tony, you got to go talk to these guys. Like, they got some great stuff and check it out. And I'm like, yeah, I use some tape and things. And so I was talking with Steve and he's like, yeah, you know, let me let's come to a course and, you know, see how it's different. And so that's how we kind of got started. And that was way back, like, right when Rocky was first getting rolling, like 2010. So uh, I was one of the first PTs in the group and I uh, just, just went to obviously Steve's class. I'm like, this is awesome makes so much more uh, sense of simplicity and the approach and uh, what, how it related to the neuro- neurological aspect of things. So just that was a ton of fun. And then from there, it's just been a, a tremendous growth that the company's had and that we've been able to be a part of and start you know, seeing what's going on and contributing and ideas, different products, different ideas. And it's, it's been, it's been a blast, but that's how it got rolling. It's just meeting at an event. Again, like you said, cross, uh, cross uh, knowing some other staff and other, other, clinicians and then we got to got to meet and rock to roll it's such a cool story to hear you know how everybody kind of came to be too I, I heard that a couple times is you know i was just walking around a booth and you know i forget who it was somebody's like yeah greg just yelled at me or steve just told me to come over or something like that so it's always a, a fun thing to kind of see so you know what as you started to get more into rock tape you know you eventually became an instructor we've grown so much adding because, you know, pe- people may not know, you know, you and I have been around for a while. We remember when it was just tape. Um, so then we added our blades course, our tools. Then we've recently added uh, floss and pods. And now we even have a movement assessment course that's that's ready to – it's going, but it's going to get even, even bigger too. So as we've grown, as we've started to introduce more things, are you – starting to implement more of this stuff into your practice as you start to study it more for the purposes of teaching it? Well, I think that what's, what's been cool about Rock Tape's growth is that it's, it's really um, coincided with, with maybe, maybe the um, maybe practice in general or like the Western style practice in general. But mm-hmm. I think a few things have been happening. So I, I've, I've been fortunate when I was back in, um, we, uh, shoot, where did we go? We went back to uh, Korea. We were in Korea for the world championships and was with the track team and was going as personal medical with one of the athletes. And as we were there, uh, one of the cool things about that is they put you in a room with a bunch of other coaches. And in this case, some other therapists and clinicians and as chiros and such. So it's great. So we had athletes come into the room where I was treating some of mine and another uh, PT was treating some of his. And he's using these little stones and doing these different, like, you know, tool instrument based work, but he's using them with stones. At that time, I had seen the the other metal tools out there. They were super expensive. So it's like, I just couldn't afford it as a clinician, right? So he's got these little gouache out stones. I'm like, dude, what are those? He's like, oh man, this is the original. This is how it all started. So we played together and he was like, showing me how how he's doing stuff. And I was like, all right, this is gouache. That's cool. He's like, yeah, you could just buy these for like 10 bucks a piece. I'm like, well, hell yeah. yeah. It's like now that. That's like a budget I could deal with, right? That's my kind of budget as a therapist. So 
It was, I, um, I so I, I, was that? That's exactly what I did too. When I got in practice, it's like, Oh, I found a J tool. That's $6. I'm going to use that. Hell yeah. Right. You know, it's whatever works. Right. Yep. So it was, uh, it was great. So I got the, the guasha tools and, and started playing with them. But I, I would, you know, drop them or when the shipping, they would break and stuff. We had the jade one. So there's a lot of times the stones would break. So at any rate, that was kind of unfolding. I was going through that. And that's when rock tape was like, Hey, we've got this new blade instrument. That's kind of unfolding. I was finally like, yes, like I can, here's an all encompassing tool that, that has multiple edges on different sides. And it's just two tools, simple products. Um, and then I always thought that guasha and some of the other methods were super aggressive. And then we're talking to Steve about how he's looking at this from a more of a neurological side. And it just really like already matched up with what I was doing. So it was like, this just makes so much sense. Uh, you know, I'm so glad that we have a product like this with it, with the right viewpoints. Cause I, I've seen some people get tool work that is just like, you know, super painful. And so I'm just a super big fan of not doing that. So that was awesome. Uh, the floss band I had a very similar scenario with where I had a, a guy that introduced me to floss before there was ever a, uh, floss band out there before there was the rogue bands and stuff. We were just using like jump stretch bands and big loops to do these different flossing fascial strategies. And then the floss came out. And again, I was like, this seems ridiculous to pay this much for a piece of rubber. So then when rock tape comes in, I'm like, sweet. Thank you. It's perfect. <laughs> Cup, cupping, same thing. And we've been cupping for, uh, for a while. We've been cupping for several years now. And, you know, it's, it's been a phenomenal tool. And then, been using it clinically and then now we see the pods and the pods are uh, add a little bit extra dimension where now we can do it with movement where you know you can put the t put the pod on and then actually move the person with the pod on which is phenomenal for me because i'm a big fan of of movement and exercise and getting people back and a lot of progression so i can use these pods with and have exercise like gait squatting step ups uh, arm actions arm movements for different scapular stimulation and, and feedback so it's like, this is like so matching of my philosophy as we've gone along. So it's been beautiful. So, and, and I'm not, not to like preach rock tape all the way, but it, it really now is an end to end product that the our clinic is filled with it. I take, I'll show you a picture from one of our, underneath one of our treatment tables. If you don't want to see it, it's, you know, I got pods, floss, uh, the blades, both sets there. We've got tape. Uh, we've got the rock rub. We use the rock rub lotion for pretty much all of our soft tissue work, nice. and then some of the some of the hot and the the ice, the fire and ice stuff. So it's pretty much end to end now. And for not that I not that I um, just promote it because I speak for them, but really because I found that the products are great. They do exactly what I want them to do. The price point's right, and so it, it on the on the contrary, it makes it very easy to promote them and speak on their behalf because it's really what we do every day, you know, it's just, it's just provided probably a better way or a nice alternative way for me to do what I've always wanted to do. So it's, that's been, that's been awesome. It's so, so cool. That, to that. It, it, Go ahead. Yeah. That, it's just, it's just really, it's really kind of funny how it's worked. And, you know, I think how Steve and I have been on the same page and, and he's done a lot of development of the products and I know we all contribute, but it's been funny to see like, all right, I'm exploring with this and experimenting with this. And then all of a sudden Steve hits us up with like, Hey, I've been looking at this guy's, what do you think? And it's like, that's funny. <laughs> oh, <bye. laughs> so it's really good. It's so cool to see someone like you who runs a large practice, you know, you've worked in, in, in clinics too, that maybe even have multiple sites as well too. And seeing it really is end to end. And 
as, as you put it, you know, you can, I, I would never recommend this, but like you could literally run an entire practice with all of the rock tape education and products because it's really about just building your toolbox there too. So me as a, a practitioner, a sole practitioner in a very small clinic, you know, it's nice to have the ability to kind of do everything I need within one sort of, of mindset there too. So it's really cool to see someone who's in a larger practice working extensively with athletes and, you know, everyday individuals at the same time. You can use this for just about anything. Because I think one of the things that people uh, look at with rock tape, uh, all tape, flossing especially too is a big thing is they go, oh, well, that's for athletes, you know. I'm not an athlete. Why would you use that on me? Yeah, for, and, and I would just come back as you would say, then everybody's an athlete. You know, it just depends on sure. now that now we're calling work injuries, you know, a industrial athlete. So right. everybody, everybody's an athlete. It just depends on your definition of it. I, I, I honestly believe we're all training for something. I say this all the time is that we're all training for something. Um, you know, you can, you can train hard as an athlete and, trained to improve your body and increase its demand, or you could sit all day in an office and train it to be really dysfunctional. <laughs> so you could train it either way, but you are training it all the time. So, so we're all, we're all athletes. Um, I like, the, I like uh, the point. yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, yeah, you, you're always and your body's always changing, right? So either teaching it to do something, maybe what we would consider to be better by moving it more, or you might teach it to sit really well, you know, but either way it's going to adapt. Um, so that, that's kind of how the body works. But I think back to the um, to the product stuff is, you know, we, we do have a large clinic. So we have 10 therapists uh, over across four facilities. And we're, we're, we're really bringing on a lot of new staff. And we, have, we, we recruit heavily and, and we're planning on growing this quite a bit larger in the region. We'll have 20 or 30 therapists in the next few years. Wow. And, and part, of our, part of our onboarding and our development process is, is using the Rock Tape classes. We sent six people this last weekend. We taught a... Uh, rock tape class, Russ, who's my colleague and also an instructor, taught a rock tape class, a pods class, and a floss class. We sent six of our clinicians to the class, um, and we use it as our as our manual therapy uh, development program. So they have to go through rock, pods and floss, have to go through blades, have to go through taping mm. to to see the manual therapy side of things. And then we do some of our own hands-on techniques that we that we teach them modules for. And then we use our own, we do our own exercise progression through a, a course. We have a bulletproof course that we run that's also exercise progression focused. And that's how we teach them that. So we have a huge onboarding staff development process. And, and the Rocktip classes have become a great insert um, to fill that need of, of these, these skills, these manual therapy and modality-based skills that, that are great. And, you know, in our, in our practice, we don't do the, the ultrasound, electrical stem, and heat packs. And, the, and we, we have ice, but... We don't use it as regularly as some. We use more of these these types of techniques to increase blood flow, increase healing, increase tissue pliability, and really facilitate the body's healing process in a much more authentic, natural way. Mm -hmm. uh, so that's that's what we really teach our staff to do that with the, through their hands and through the tools. You are um, a faculty member at Sacramento State in uh, Northern Arizona, um, and I'm curious to know, you know, with with the students that you teach. Do you ever see in the future things like rock tape courses, something similar to obviously not the exact same thing, becoming kind of part of regular curriculum within physical therapy, chiropractic curriculum? Yeah, I think so. And I think it's, I think it's a lot of the stuff's kind of interesting. So, on, well, a few things. So I've, I've been to, 
I don't know, just in the last year or two, I've been to probably five or six different PT schools and actually taught a rock tape class. So mm-hmm. it's either a taping class or a blades class or a pods class. It's typically been the focus. Um, went up to University of Michigan. I just got back from um, uh, a school in uh, in Texas a couple months ago. I was in school in Kentucky. Uh, I was at a school in in uh, Missouri. So we've done. I've done quite a few uh, PT schools where students will come in, and we usually do a weekend course where it's kind of an extra thing that they do. Um, we'll we'll do it that way. Mm-hmm. I think if you would have asked me when I was in school 20 years ago, if you would have asked me, "Hey, what are the what 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 are some things I need to learn?" I don't think I would have told you. I, I know I would not have told you to do cupping or to do uh, the instrument assisted work, and certainly not to do any kind of dry needling or any of these kind of. Um, Eastern medicine practices, but now if you look at the industry, you know, I'm talking with Allison about this, our our our, our director, and you know, leading the industry now, now as far as courses is dry needling, uh, cupping, um, tape, and uh, instrument assisted soft tissue. Yeah. So those four things are all Eastern medicine based practices that have now become the Westerners, and and now is the number one continuing education courses uh, in the country and not to no, to no one's surprise they're also you know popular because they're so they're so effective and we kind of always like as eastern medicine looked, we've always looked at it as like ah oh, that's kind of voodoo and as we've learned sure. more about it be able to better explain it through a better you know understanding of research and better technology to measure we can actually see that these things make a ton of more sense uh, than, than maybe some of the things we've even been doing in the western side of things especially in the rehab world yeah. So I absolutely I, I know that they're getting implemented in a, in an instrument assisted soft tissue sort of way are already being implemented in, in programs. I don't know much about PT teaching cupping, but massage therapy certainly teaches cupping in their programming. Um, we uh, I think we'll get more and more of that. I think we'll get more soft tissue focused um, in, in these programs as, as well. They're they're heavily joint mobilization focused for their manual work, but I think we're going to get a little more soft tissue development as the years come and as the data comes to support it. Cause frankly, the data is, the data is really quite tremendous in, in, in using manual therapy, especially when associated with, with movement or with exercise. When you combine those two things together, the results really go exponential. And I think that's, that's what we have to start teaching more in our, in our programming. That's a actually excellent transition. I, mean, I didn't know this about you, but you've published a number of different articles, you know, things like training, rehabilitation, kinetic linking, uh, for performance, have you published anything in particular about any of these tools, or do you sp- stick with uh, any particular uh, kind of realm of healthcare? Yeah, so it, we've I focus most of the stuff has been on performance enhancement um, work. Uh, we've also done a lot of stuff on post-operative management. Um, our biggest focus is is on progression. If I was to say as a, as a clinician over my past 15 years, is is really focusing on exercise progression and tissue tolerance. Uh, so I haven't published anything on any on any of the tools, or the instruments. I think the biggest difficulty there is really the measurement of the change, uh, is is due to variables is is kind of the biggest thing. But from a case standpoint, I uh, we did a case study uh, just last year. We we submitted it to um, uh, what was it to? We submitted it to the APTA, and then then it was either going to go to to the APTA's national. Um, national meeting or it was going to go into their uh, regional meeting. 
and, and to combine sections as it was to combine sections. And so that was an article looking at movement uh, quality and some with the single leg stance that deal with it with telfemoral pain. And we looked at a couple of different modalities from uh, just straight exercise, exercise with tape, and then we also included a BFR variable. So we included a variable that used BFR as one of the um, variables as well and looked at patient outcome with that. And, um, and we showed some video in the, in the presentation, the example of how you could see tremendous differences in move, movement quality with taping uh, with, with and without tape. So it was a great way to kind of establish some pattern relearning with people. And I think we see, I see that so consistently clinically. Um, it needs more data to, to be published so that people are more aware of it. But it's something you see clinically day in and day out. We're using the tape to change motor patterns and motor control is, is uh, almost second nature. It's, it's pretty easy to see and it's pretty obvious and it's super powerful. So we see it. Um, it's obviously valuable. We see it every day. Patients feel it every day, but you haven't published it because it's hard to publish it with the variables. That's one of the limiting factors. That's so cool. It's so you know exciting to kind of see that stuff coming out. I have to ask, since you've you know done some research yourself, what do you think, in your opinion, of, of any tool that might be out there, what do you think some of the limitations are with some of this research? Yeah, well, I think we asked the wrong question. So mm. I, I, think, I think that one of the biggest problems is we're asking the wrong questions. So we're asking questions like, you know, um, uh, we'll, we'll make an assumption, for example. Some of my favorite ones are like they're looking at like quadricep strength or uh, force production uh, of the quadriceps. And so to do that, you could, you could use any modality you like. You could take the quadriceps and then you could test force production, which is usually tested with doing a, bio, a biomet uh, kind of flexion extension test. And they can measure both force and speed of contraction with that or, or speed of movement. The other option that they would test you with is they can do EMG testing. And with EMG testing, they would test what was the EMG activity underneath the pads or through the needles compared to how much force was, um, was produced and when did the muscle fail? And then they figure out what, what the MVC was, maximum voluntary contraction. Mm. So those are kind of the two ways we look at like force, for example, with the quadriceps. And then we, we somehow take that and apply that to have meaning in the functional world to say that, okay, if someone can produce more force in their quads, that means they're going to be more functional. And we have very, very little that ties those two things together. But from a research standpoint, you know, you could tape somebody's quad, you can instrument, uh, you know, scrape somebody's quad, you could do oscillations on someone's quad, you could cup somebody's quad, and you can measure before and after effects of it. And you could come up with all kinds of speculation that, oh, it made it stronger, or it made it weaker, um, or it didn't have any change at all. And I, I just think we're asking the wrong question, like, who really cares what that does to either of those numbers? I don't really care what it does to EMG activity, because I really don't care how active the quad is when someone actively squeezes it. That makes no difference to me because I've never actively squeezed my quad in an athletic movement in my life. It just happens by reaction. So I would be much, I'd be much more interested into what the quad activity like is, is like in a reactive environment where it actually matters. Um, whether you're walking downhill or whether you're doing a squat or whether you're doing a sprint or whether you're jumping or whatever it might be. So now, I, but I totally realized that we can't measure it in sport yet, sure. but it's getting closer. It's getting closer. So that, that's, that's, I think, what we have to take from the research is like, okay, um, maybe there's not enough information in the research to prove one way or the other that this, this modality has this effect 
and therefore that effect should be something I implement in my clinic on a daily basis to get this effect. I think there's something we teach in our courses that's super important is to, is to be the integrator, okay. to understand where the patient's coming from, understand what their needs are, understand what, what it is they might respond well to, understand their fears, understand some of their anxieties, and bridge that gap. And maybe you use tape to help somebody feel more confident, increase proprioceptive feel around their knee. Maybe you use an instrument to do that. Maybe you use uh, cups to do that. You could do it with anyone or all three. This depends on basically what you think or what you find on how the patient responds. That I'm no longer a fan to say that like, okay, hey, cups do this every time or the tool does this every time or my hands, I can do this every time or this exercise does this every time because it doesn't. They do different things to to different people and our job is not to say, oh, do this tool every time, but rather, hey, what does the person need today? What are they going to respond to the best? And then finding that right, either either instrument, tape, tool, or even verbal tone and conversation. What's the conversation like that you're going to have with that person that day? Uh, all of those are going to make a huge impact in that person's function and that person's outcome. Uh, very, very hard to research and measure it, but that's what you see clinically day in and day out. So, you know, when I read the research, I, I certainly value it, and I, and I think it, it gives us a good a good step, but it moves us in the right direction. Kind of a lot of times it supports what we've already found, which is great. I think the research is typically a decade behind the practice, and that's just the way it is. It has to be that way. It's fine. Um, so we shouldn't look at research as a leading indicator. We should look at lead research as more of a lagging indicator to say, like, okay, yeah, we've been doing that for a while. Yeah, that makes sense. I like it. Um, that kind of proves that we're there. Or it didn't prove it one way or the other. No big deal. We just can't measure it very well. So many variables. You know, it's, it's kind of like nutrition is the same thing. You know, it's like, well, what should I eat? Well, you know, broccoli and chicken. A lot mm-hmm. like that. Well, all right. Well, now we got to have a bigger conversation, I guess. You know, like, yeah. but it, you know, you, I can tell you exactly what to eat, but that's not going to work for you because you don't want to have that every day. So we got to we got to have all these variables, and for that reason, the nutritional research is all over the map for the same reason because there's too many variables to really control it. That's yes, really good. Now. Yeah. You know, very important. People understand, you know, there's so many variables. You said it perfectly, something I 100% agree with. What does that person need that particular day? Because you can preach a lot about individuality, and we should, and we do, but even that one individual, every day you see them, they're kind of a different physiology because they might have had something happen on the way to you or last time they saw you in between there, something else happened, you know, there's a lot of variables to take into consideration. So I, I do appreciate you, 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 you saying that as well too, because it's something that I, I, I've thought about a lot. And I, I get that from a lot of participants, you know, they get frustrated, but as we say in rock tape, you know, we let the research guide us, but not shackle us. Yeah. Yeah. Excellent. Yeah, totally. And it is so true. Yeah. You, ne- you never know. And so every, every session's a little bit of a, a reassessment or reavow, like, Hey, well, where are we at today? And, and this is really a, a trend that we're seeing in in performance. It's, a, it's more than a trend now. It's kind of the way it's done. But 10 years ago when, when we were doing a lot of stuff, there's a lot of trends on looking at sleep and, uh, you know, measuring. Um, you use the GPS monitoring systems to measure uh, amount of movement, measure acceleration movement, deceleration movement, vertical translation. All of these measurements would be taken on athletes. Um, this was being done a decade ago and kind of refined about five or six years ago, kind of got a little more refined and got better data and understood what the data was telling us. But every day now, and in some of the best training centers in the world, what we're doing is evaluating that person on that day. And that 
that won't 100% determine the training load, but it has a huge impact on our periodization program or our process. Like if we had scheduled a day for that day to be scheduled to be a high intensity, high impact type day, but that person comes in and is not ready for that day, that's, I mean, it sounds obvious when you say it, but if they come in not ready for that day, then we've got to adjust the training load to allow that body and that system to recover a little bit more. And then maybe the next day is their high intensity day or two days later if their neurological system is shot. But you've got to assess that every day, no matter who you're working with, whether it be a high-level performing athlete or whether it be a rehab person or a, a person that's just in pain, chronic pain management. You know, every day is a different day. and Everything matters. How much they sleep, what they eat, what's the relationship like with their family, what's their stress level like, mm. how they feel, their confidence. And yeah, how strong they are, how they've trained their body, what, it, what it's used to, what its tolerance is. So it's a... It's a black box out there, man. So we've got to we've got to, uh, to get as much info as we can and make the right choice on that day to be like, all right, let's 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 do let's push this today or let's let's go on the back, put this on the back burner today, and let's just do some stuff to help you recover or whatever it might be. It's a fun journey to go down on too, you know. That's why it's a, such a great uh, thing to you know be involved with what we're getting involved in as well too. So. Um, Tony, yeah. I know you're not on social media, so usually I ask at this point, you know, where can people find you on social media, but how could someone possibly get a hold of you? Oh, no, I, I do social media. I just don't do it in my own name because oh. uh, I'm, 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 I'm a big fan of, uh, of our team and, and working as, as a unit. So, um, and more than I'd, lo I'd love to communicate with, uh, with the people out there, I just usually don't do it myself because I just know I don't have time to honor you the response that you want in a timely manner every single time if there's a question so it's um it's a i, I do, we do do quite a bit so we use uh our, our company is the kind human performance institute so our uh all of our stuff our handle is at kime hpi so it's at k-i-m-e hpi so that's uh you can interact with us on instagram twitter there uh, we have facebook as well with that so whatever Depending on how old you are and what, which one you use, you can <laughs> one you like. Um, so yeah, you can definitely conversate with me there. It'd be great. Um, and our team, we have we have four instructors actually with Rock Tape is actually on our team at this point. So yeah. uh, we have a pretty good group of us. So we put it on a ton of content. We do a lot of stuff on on the different tools, lots of exercise progression and those types of things. So it's a lot of fun. And then if you guys are wanting to email me directly, that's uh, that's fine as well. So easy enough. It's just my name is Tony Mickle at gmail dot com. So. Yeah, it's a great resource to have. Um, obviously, uh, check them out at Kime HPI. It's kimeperformance.com for their website. Yep. Great website, um, not only to schedule appointments if, you, if you're in the Sacramento area, but also there's a lot of education uh, there as well, too. Uh, Tony, you and I were talking before we started recording that we're both going to be at Rockstock this weekend uh, as this goes out on uh, the Wednesday before Rockstock. So after that, where are you going to be as far as teaching rock tape? Or any teaching anything that for that matter. Yes, yeah, so this is this is a busy month. As a matter of fact, we're going to where do I have to go? I'm going to I'm going to Des Moines, Iowa, and we're doing our movement class in Des Moines, Iowa. So it'll be our first movement uh, movement class there in a couple of weeks. Oh, cool. um, and then, but right but right after Rockstock, I go to Salt Lake, uh, just south Salt Lake in Lehi, Utah. We've got a, a a group out there we're working with, so we're going out there for uh, I think that's a pods and floss course. Uh, and then pretty busy this uh, this fall all over the place. So that's in California down to Corona a little bit. Um, I think I'm back out in 
in the Midwest a little bit as well. I think it's in Nebraska in a couple of, in a month or so. So nice. I teach I teach all the classes as, as I think you do as well, John. So we're uh, we're yeah. on the move on the move quite a bit. But yeah, Rostock will be fun this week. So that'll be fun. It'll be uh, with a lot of good people coming and presenting a lot of good ideas and good concepts. So. Yeah, I mean, you know, uh, as this is going out, it's uh, a couple days before, but. I mean, I guess if you were in the area, you could always kind of register extremely late. You want to tell everybody what you're talking about? Uh, we're doing, uh, ours is going to be mostly on, on performance enhancement. We're going to look at queuing. So a lot of talking about how you would queue and exercise progression. Uh, we're going to break it down as an example, looking at sprinting. So we're going to go sprint mechanics and sprint velocities and, and movement quality. And in doing that, we're going to use some examples of how you might take a look at a high-level movement like sprinting and break it down to what are the mobility needs, what are the stability needs, what are the strength and power needs, and then give you specific tools to gain those those variables as you go through the process. So it actually will be a lot of fun. I think it'll give a, a really a really good kind of use it right away and, and application strategy. And the goal would be that you could apply this type of evaluation methodology, this type of look to uh, to any movement pattern. We're just using sprinting as the the main focus of this day but very cool very yeah. cool that's awesome that'd be great yeah what are you talking about john uh i am talking about one of my uh loves is uh the cerebellum so i'm going into uh some unconscious uh control of coordination is i believe the the working title but uh cerebellar assessment and then some uh, drills to improve upon that so um really kind of help complement stuff like what you're doing you know so you can, can do some of my stuff and then you know take what you learn from tony and put it to the athlete and go okay i've seen you know where there's some uh issues with coordination and then let's get them to the point to where we can start doing some of these sprinting drills that's that's perfect man that's exactly it you gotta yep. and more this is this is where you need like the multiple clinician thing too you know because it's not always yep. like the strength coach can't be the guy doing the cerebellum stuff all the time he can put some of those drills into the program i think that'd be valuable but it's also important to have teammates to go through when you go through physicals with the teams or physicals or just looking at an athlete, you can look at them uh, both at higher, higher levels of function as well as kind of the more baseline fundamental things like this. Uh, if the brain doesn't work, the movement doesn't happen very well. So it's ah, well said. Kind of, kind of an important, <laughs> important section. Good way to close it out, man. Thank you so much for your time. This is uh, such a great conversation. Uh, if anybody is looking to get a hold of Tony, uh, definitely check them out on social media at Kime HPI. Uh, that's at K-I-M-E-H-P-I. It's uh, KimePerformance.com. Great website. Check them out if you're in the Sacramento area or the surrounding areas uh, and you need some help, go to some of the best. Go out to Kime Performance Institute and uh, get a hold of them. Get a hold of Tony. Check us out at Rockstock and then go to Rocktape.com and check out where Tony's going to be teaching next. Tony. Thank you so much, my friend. You got it, John. Thanks, buddy. All right. I will see you this weekend, then. All right. Yeah, we'll see you soon. All right, buddy. Take care. You too.